Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. It is, what did you say it was, Doug? It is March what? Oh, for you, it's March Sadness, Mike. Okay, for me, it is March Sadness. Okay, so last week I spent a <laughs> lot of the, well, we spent a lot of time talking about how the NCAA tournament was the greatest playoff structure, and we gave our picks for the tournament, and I have substantially revised my opinions about the tournament. And I'm not even going to revise my pick, though. I'm still going to pe- take the Illini to win it all. I'm not sure how that can happen, but perhaps through some sort of uh, pandemic let me, Yeah, let me ask this. If Loyola Chicago, if uh, if someone comes, if their whole team goes down with COVID right now before this next game, do they substitute Illinois in? I don't so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to keep hope alive. Okay. Okay. And so that is uh, that is the theme for this week. It is the importance or the role of crushing defeats. So the the absence of the absence of hope. Doug, let me ask you a non NCAA tournament question. Okay. What are the most crushing sports defeats you have encountered in your life? Uh. Number one has got to be second and 26 uh, national championship my senior year. Georgia Bulldogs lost on essentially a Hail Mary in football. Okay. That one hurt. Yeah, that that hurt. Okay, that's that's an interesting word. Um, I'll say this. uh, Another one. Uh, Regular season game, New York Giants versus Tennessee Titans may not seem like the most meaningful matchup but as a seven-year-old Giants fan that had a Titans fan in my face uh, rubbing in the fact that they had a 24-point fourth-quarter comeback to my crying self, that one hurt, too. That one was really rough. I cried the entire way home from, from Nashville to Birmingham, Alabama. Okay, so, you know, part of, part of fandom is somehow that when your team loses – and I, look, I was looking on some Illinois message boards, and obviously what I'm talking the the thing that I'm not going to be able to get past for a couple of days is Illinois' um, uh, defeat by some conspiracy of refs, nuns, and you know whoever the Catholic else was Church, involved. the Catholic Church, the, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, we, you know, the the, the nunnery, wh- whatever. I mean, I, I just know it wasn't the Illinois' fault because <laughs> it never, it never ever is All right. But, you know, look, I looked at some of the Illini message boards and, you know, there are phrases out there, you know, this one hurts, you know, it, it, this kind of pain that we as sports fans endure when our teams lose. And I think it's really one of these uh, one of these distinguishing parts about sports fandom that if you are not emotionally or almost feeling physically ill after a defeat, are you truly a fan of a team? I'll say this as a fan of a team. If I'm with somebody that does not feel that way, that claims to be a fan, it sickens me even more. If my team loses and they're like, oh, well, it's just a game. 
like after a tournament loss, for example, uh, you really start to question their fanhood and, and call out their hypocrisy for calling themselves a fan. It's disgusting. Yeah, you know, I mean, so maybe one of the biggest oxymorons of all time is the term casual fan, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it, it just doesn't make the any word sense. fan it's means like, fanatic. You can't yeah, be a casual fan. If you're fanatic. a casual fan, you're just, I don't know, you're there because you like crowds, you like <laughs> energy, you like excitement, you like to be part of the group watching something on TV, you like mm-hmm. to wear you like to wear matching shirts, but you are not a fan, you are not committed to this endeavor. Yeah, and there's something uh, being part of a fan base that's that's had quite a few heartbreaks in in my lifetime. There's something pretty uniting about having experienced all these heartbreaks together alongside people because you meet somebody that's that's from the same fan base, and you're like, wow, we've been through so much together. Like we're definitely going to click. Um, but you feel <laughs> betrayed when you find out that person doesn't actually suffer when the team <laughs> when the team loses, like like you do. So, so when I talk about fandom, I always, especially in an academic setting, I've got this, I've got this fandom framework, and the the starting point of that is this this idea that fans share stories and narratives. And usually, when I talk about that, and look, we we talked a lot about that last year at this time when we were talking about the Michael Jordan yeah. documentary. Yeah, this idea that these, you know, he he scores over Craig Elo to get to the next round of the playoffs. He then defeats the Pistons. He starts winning championships. And it's like there's these legends that Bulls fans have, and, and it's really where the where the community starts to come from. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, you know, sometimes I forget about the other side of it, that there's also these tragic defeats that are part of those, uh, part of that body of knowledge as well. This kind of, we, sh- we share the ups and we share the, we share the downs. Yeah, I was thinking about it recently. Um, you think about even dynasties like the Patriots uh, or the San Antonio Spurs. In my life, in my lifetime, it's hard to think of a dynasty, Alabama in football, that that did not have a heartbreaking championship defeat. Uh, the Spurs had the Ray Allen Miami Heat three after they thought they had locked up the series against the Miami Heat. Uh, the Patriots, of course, lost to my New York Giants twice in games that they should have won. Uh, Alabama to Clemson a, a number of times, but the one that comes to mind is is Deshaun Watson to Hunter Rimfro in the end zone. Even these teams, even these fan bases that seem to have, you know, to get everything the rest of us want, um, they have to experience that as well. And so it is just an innate part of fandom. And Mike, I'm. I'm sorry to hear that you're that you're experiencing this with your Illini, but uh, I hate to say I told you so last week on the podcast when I was making my picks. That's okay. I wasn't <laughs> particularly listening to anyone last week. <laughs> as I was just extolling the virtues of having the best guard in the country, the best freshman uh, guard in the country, as as well as the best upper class guard in the country, and a and a literal giant in in the middle. Um, I was. Completely, I don't know, giddy. I was giddy yeah. for the prospects for the Illini. Finally, back in the tournament, a number one seed, and looking like they were really on a roll. Probably yeah. the hottest team in the country going into the going into the tournament. You know what, what you're saying in terms of these shared. You know, it makes me think back to the the Jordan uh, the Jordan history, right? Because there were yeah. defeats in. Jordan's history, right? Or in his early years with the Bulls, right? They had to almost right. go stage by stage. 
they were not making the playoffs and they were making the playoffs and getting eliminated by the Celtics and then later by the Pistons and they had to overcome. And in that case, it really, I think it, it magnifies the eventual championship, the, the impact of the eventual championships. Um, so I, I think defeats can actually be part of the story, the, uh, you know what kind of the odyssey the the epic journey to get to the championship the problem is what if you just have a series of defeats then where are you left as a fan and that's yeah in some ways that's kind of what it feels like to be an Illini a high character fan base yeah yeah of course um the best fans yeah what you were saying about defeats being part of the story it makes me think of Virginia basketball and the fact that they were the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed um, and that just became kind of the opening chapter of the next story, which was them winning the national championship and overcoming adversity. And so it is always part of the story. Obviously, as an Illini fan, you're probably hoping to see a, a similar outcome. But Mike, I'm curious. Last week we talked about how the NCAA tournament is the best playoff format. And I added, I was talking about the NBA and how – Perhaps the seven-game series in professional basketball may may be less exciting because it's more predictable. Um, it, it is a better indicator of who the best overall team is when you're playing those seven-game series. Are, are you kind of regretting that statement? Are you wishing Illinois could have had you know another four games against Loyola Chicago to to prove that they are truly uh, the the better team? I, you know what. That was a very eloquent and professional way of saying "I told you so." You know, that was really, it was really nicely done. It, it, it almost seemed like a legitimate argument that you were making when it was really just kind of uh, pouring salt. You know, here's another funny thing. I heard from during that game. I got texts from people that I have not heard from in years. Oh, it's the worst, right? So I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna applaud you and say well well done, and uh, yeah I mean I'll, I'll indulge in a bit of hypocrisy a hundred percent the NCAA tournament is just a collection of random outcomes <laughs> that maybe you know and again you know maybe the the power of the prayer but you know I find I find myself rooting against a nun an yeah. elderly sickly nun which is kind of a beautiful situation I also think that the um, the Loyola fans were truly um, an an epically and beautifully awkward embarrassment yes. in terms of their, their little dance moves. I, I don't even what you call like a six-person wave with a little bit of freestyle in the middle. I don't know, um, but next year when I make a bracket, I'm going to do one and just like the goofier looking someone is or like a player on a team, it seems like the more likely they are to pull an upset. We saw that with Loyola Chicago. We saw that with... Abilene Christian, uh, it's it's these goofy looking dudes that always end up making a run in the tournament. It's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, well, but back to, back to your question about do I regret my perspective on the tournament? You know, it, it's it's interesting, and I do wonder, you know, how much of this is you know the the the, the immediate emotions versus being more thoughtful about all of this and sort of putting it in perspective. Let me ask. Let me sort of flip the question around. Okay. Are you enjoying this tournament that has just been filled with low seeded teams pulling off? Yes. Upsets. Yes. No. If 
if it were all top seeds winning, uh, I probably wouldn't be watching as much, but it is so interesting to me. I will for sure watch the Loyola Chicago versus Oregon State Sweet 16 game, um, UCLA and Abilene Christian. I mean, how about Oral Roberts? Are you pulling for Oral Roberts at this point? I want them to win it all, Mike. I uh, okay. I I meant to tell you, I did one bracket that was my real bracket, and regrettably, I made some last minute changes um, using analytics, which is just don't overthink it, guys. Next year, note to self: don't overthink it. <laughs> Your gut is probably what you should stick with. But I went and made a second bracket, and my second bracket was purely based on free throw percentage. Uh, no other no other indicator or no other uh, statistics or, or gut feeling or anything was, was used in this bracket. Oral Roberts wins the whole thing. They had the best free throw shooting percentage in the country, so I'm pulling for that to happen. I like it. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's, that's innovative, and there's definitely some logic for for it. I wonder if there is um, some sort of almost a betting bias that if you in, in high pressure, maybe maybe the the analytics, the identification of the bias would be that when you go to an NCAA tournament structure where it's one and out, where it's incredibly high pressure, then is something like a really core skill mm-hmm. of free throw shooting, which might be related to being the most practiced team the most disciplined team out there is that something that results in overperformance in that kind of tournament structure i think that's you know that's a great analytics question that's one for the kind of the the basement analytics warriors to uh to scope out look at that tournament after tournament year after year yeah and i think it was uh i think it was the abeling christian team that had a terrible free throw percentage and they had a guy at the line that shot like 57% or something at the end of the game down one and he hit them both. Um, and I had actually, I had originally picked them and after looking at the percentages, I, I flipped it cause I decided any 50, 50 game, I'm going to go with the team with the better free throw shooting percentage. So I flipped it to Texas and, uh, sure enough, the, the guy with the poor percentage hit two at the end of the game when it mattered the most. So it's, uh, it's it's still pretty. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of variables at play because so, someone might be 50% shooting from the free throw line, but 100%, you know, with with 30 seconds left in the game or less, might have that clutch gene. Yeah. Okay. So, getting to the theoretical, the academic side of today's discussion. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, when we talk about how you there's legitimate bad feelings or feelings of defeat or pain mm. or hurt when your team when your team loses does that seem irrational to you on some level um purely on a cognitive level yes the fact that, that went- you're pulling for a group of 18 year olds to win a game and they lose and that you feel some some defeat yourself as if you have lost uh, that that is not the most rational line of thinking. Some eighteen-year-olds that you may you you may not know a single player. You know, for the most part, we don't know a single player on the team. Right, we've never had a no connection, a personal interaction with them. Yeah, yeah, and and so this is this is one of the funny things about sports fandom, and one of the things that makes it incredibly powerful uh, a, a powerful force for both for both good and for. And for strange behavior, good in terms of, you know, people get enthusiastic. If you're a fan of 
Georgia football. I'm a fan of Illinois. Well, that's great for those institutions. They've got, you know, likely lifelong connections with us because we've got this affinity to these to these sports teams. It's a point of connection. Uh, bad in that, you know, it results in a little bit of crazy behavior. Um, I don't know. I, I saw someone mention that, and I, I don't know where this was from. Um, it, it, the idea that being a fan is actually probably a net and negative mm-hmm. that you end up a little bit less happy than if you were not a fan of a team. Oh, no doubt. It, and I think there's definitely something to that. Cause you think about just about every season ends in some kind of, some kind of failure. Okay. Yeah. I wish if so, I could go back in time and decide to put all that energy into like Broadway musicals, um, where you know what you're going to get and and it has the outcome that you expect and you enjoy it every time, I would do that because I've had my heart broken a million times over Georgia football in particular. Um, And it's like I I certainly would be better off as far as my overall happiness and probably mental health uh, if if I were not a sports fan. But here we are. I I don't know where to go with that. I I don't have a follow-up question on Broadway musicals. Or Broadway shows. I don't. It's I don't just an easier. It's a less heartbreaking, uh, <laughs> you know, pastime. Okay, so yeah, I guess it's the equivalent of you could. It, let's not be a New York Giants fan or an Illini fan. Let's go all in on Star Trek and go to the convention. Exactly. And- <laughs> yeah, those people know what they're doing. Those people got it figured out. The uh, yeah. the Comic Con crowd. They've they've got life figured out. They know what they're doing. Okay, and so there, there's something important in here. You you went to. Not just, well, you know what, I'm not going to be, you know, sports fandom is a little bit irrational. doesn't make sense to feel a defeat when a bunch of kids that are, you know, in my case, much, much, you know, the average age on that Illini team is probably 19 or 20. Right. Bunch of 20-year-olds lose, I feel bad. It doesn't, on some level, totally illogical. Yeah. But you went to a different place, which is, you know, maybe you would direct your energies to something fundamentally different, a different type of group membership. And that's you know, where I think we'd start to see that sports fandom and these emotional reactions do have some basis in reality. And and so the sports fandom is about being members in groups. It's about being members in a subculture. And it's a powerful thing because membership in these groups gets us something. For whatever reason, sports is special because it provides some value as we present ourselves to the world that we are fans, that we label ourselves by wearing the jersey or the hat. And so it's this this idea that people very often construct their identities based on the groups they involve, they're involved with, and sports fandom is a big part of that. Yeah, it's interesting to me, uh, kind of thinking back on what I said, that I felt like I would have to reallocate that energy to somewhere else. It's like intrinsically, as humans, we have this need to be a fan of something. Uh, and maybe well, let me say, let me put a word there. Uh, it's a need for belongingness. Yeah. It's a need to belong to something, to some sort of groups. Yeah, but there's like this enthusiasm that we have to express towards something and and just kind of it's a matter of what we, you know, some people it is Broadway musicals, some people it's sports, some people it's it's Star Wars or Comic-Con or uh video games or religion or politics, but there is this inherent fandom in human beings, it's, it's pretty fascinating to me. Well, it's it's like when we think about who we are as people or what our personalities are, 
you can almost decompose it. Yeah. And, and if you don't want to think about yourself, think about, you know, think about your friend or your family, family member. How do you describe that person? And it might be, well, they, they go to the university of Alabama. They're a big New York Yankees fan. They are active in their church, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, when you decompose that, basically you mentioned that they're involved in three or four different groups and that's how their personality is constructed. So it's something, it's a fundamental part of how we construct ourselves and how we present ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So Mike, as, as an Illini fan, what's next? What does a fan do after defeat? Or are you starting to look into recruiting for next year, looking for hope, looking for, uh, you know, see who, who might be coming back next year? Or are you moving on to something else, trying to reallocate that energy? Where, where are you at right now? Oh, I'm definitely lying to myself at the moment. Okay. Um, I, I'm definitely saying, well, you know what? Uh, Kofi Cockburn should probably come back because he's a – and you think about some of the some of the discussions we have about uh, drafts on this show when we talk about that, you know, the NFL or the NBA largely wants to draft on upside, right? The, the NBA especially wants to draft on upside. It's like the more they know about you, the more the flaws – they know the flaws that exist. They know there's a ceiling on your game. The more unlikely they are to want to pursue you, right? right. Because the key is to identify two or three pieces of elite, to obtain two or three elite talents, and that's how you end up winning titles. So, with that is with that in mind, as someone that's been looking at this for for years, I now find myself doing this kind of strange kind of rationalization, going, "But you know what? He's a big man, mm-hmm. and big men need more time to develop." So perhaps in the case of big men, my theory is not true that he's better off getting a couple more years under his belt playing playing for Illinois. And then I say, well, what about the counter argument that he can get more development in the NBA where they get full-time coaching, they're playing more games. And then I'll even talk myself into the a story that, yeah, but you know what? At Illinois next year, he will be the man. He will be the focus of the offense. And so that kind of development over 30 games is more valuable than year in, year out development with a staff of trainers and and coaches, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, long answer, Doug, that basically I am in the process of lying to myself to now give myself hope that the future looks brighter than it likely is. Yeah. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll try to find the silver lining in those kind of defeats and think to myself, maybe this player that was going to go pro and should go pro, maybe that loss just eats at him so much and he wants to avenge it and he comes back for another season and we have this amazing best season in school history kind of season. Uh, And sometimes that happens. Uh, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle at Georgia did that and and Davin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter. Uh, But sometimes these guys are not thinking (laughs) how fans think. We think about the program only and we think about you know, it's emotional effect on us. A lot of these guys are thinking about their careers and, and their their wallets, to be frank. No, and and they should. I yeah, I would too. You know, when I when I project out with the this Illini team, you know they they've got some nice pieces coming back. Obviously, I I love uh, Carbello. I think yeah. he's almost a magical player out there. Yeah. I, I think he's the funnest player to the most fun player to watch in all of NCAA. Um, uh, I, I could imagine that Kofi 
you could make a legitimate argument that he should come back, that he is still kind of learning the game and is a big man. That kind of extra development team is not going to hurt. Now, again, he's passing up maybe, a you know, assuming he gets picked, let's say, middle of the first round draft. He's obviously leaving a bunch of money on the table. Mm-hmm. It's, um, but, you know, the, the thing that ends up being, I, I don't know, and I don't want to make this sort of too personal, is like when you are the a fan of, you know, there's different kinds of fans, right? Because there's different kinds of clubs. So as an Illini fan, there's ups and downs, right? So it's a storied basketball program, but it only ends up hitting those elite ranks once a decade mm-hmm. or so. And so a defeat like that really probably probably stings a little bit more than if you're a Kentucky or a Duke fan and you go, well, we're, you know what? We're going to reload. Yeah, we'll get the we're number one back. player this year. We'll be good. We're, we're, we're going to back out there. And, and even like I actually have a little bit of fun little side note. I have a little bit of resentment towards you whenever you talk about Georgia football mm-hmm. because Georgia football is – when's the last time you guys didn't have a top 10 recruiting class? <laughs> it's been a while. It's probably been 10 years. <laughs> okay. So so you guys live in a world of ho- – you, you guys are always just reloading. It's just – and I know, it's, you know it's, it's always sort of getting over that next, uh, that next hurdle. But, you know, potentially the Illini are losing basically two All-Americans – um, and then bringing in a couple of around top 100 talent, so mm-hmm. we could be we could be taking a step back for the next few years. Yeah, it's like you could be the number one seed this year, and in, in I mean, heaven forbid, but not be in the tournament next year. That happens for a lot of teams, um, and so a defeat like this is is crushing. It makes me think back to last year with, and of course, they're in a different different uh, tier of basketball program, but Dayton being a number one seed and having the tournament canceled. Probably the only time they'll ever be a number one seed. Only time they'll ever have a shot for real at a national championship. And uh, this year they they don't even make the tournament. So they they just had that taken from them. Uh, Those kinds of defeats, they hit different for sure than, than when Alabama loses to Clemson and, and has to reload with another number one class to go make their 18th national championship appearance in a row the next season. Well, let me add something else that should bother you a lot, but it won't because you've got you've got too much youth on your side. Okay. As the Illini were were losing, and I um, you know, watching that game, you could you can tell that. And look, there's all sorts of analytic stories when you're watching a game. Um, it was pretty pretty obvious that the Illini were only going to win that game by about let's say with about but 10 minutes left, that the only chance they had of winning that game, because they were so badly out of rhythm, they were not really playing like a team, right. was if these guys started to, if one of the players got hot um, and we had some sort of hero ball where, you know, one of the guards started hitting threes and that was that was about the only way they were going to come back into this. Right. That, and again, this the, so for me, as I'm watching the highlighting, kind of the limitations of analytics in terms of, let's say, capturing that emotional element of the game, that these guys just came in flat, maybe because there are a lot of Chicago kids on both sides. The Illini are used to being better players than the Loyola players and the, the AAU tournaments and the gyms that occur over the summers, whatever. But, you know, something was something was missing and something that's kind of missing outside of the, uh, the analytics. Mm-hmm. 
The other thing that comes to mind, and this is my point about your youth, that defeat reminded me of Illinois losing in 1987 to Austin P. And at that point, that was uh, that was during kind of the Illini real glory years, the run up to the flying Illini. Mm-hmm. A lot of those guys were already on campus in 87. I think Ken Norman was the best player at, at that point uh, on the team. And what really strikes me is I find myself now thinking back to 1987. Okay. And so a loss triggers a memory of 33 or 34 years ago. And so I, I put this out there that, you know, you've got too much youth on your side to understand the misery that is in front of you as a fan that this stuff lasts decades. This is the most depressing episode of Fanalytics <laughs> that we have recorded so far. Yeah, I uh, I hope my fandom has like a, a brighter turn than yours has had. Um, I keep hoping, I'm holding on to hope that one day it's going to all be worth it. I think that's what, they, what keeps us going as fans. Uh, I think you saw that with Boston Red Sox after... The curse of the baby. Okay, hold on. I want to dig into that. Okay. How would your fandom possibly end up being worth it? Uh, I just need one one championship. Then I'm quitting. I'm done as a fan after that. I was going to be done after 2017. I said I'm hanging it up after after we win this game <laughs> uh, because you can't get any better than that. But uh, and do, does it have to be a Georgia football championship? Yes, absolutely. That's that's okay. that's it. That's I'm done after that. I'm retired. I'm retiring as a fan. Write it down. Well, look, I tend to look at Illinois basketball that way, and we we tend we seem to have a dominant team coming out of Champaign about once every fifteen years. Yeah, and and so you start to do the math on that, and Clock's you know ticking. I, I'm fifty th- I'm fifty three. <laughs> clock's ticking. <laughs> clock clock's ticking now. Suddenly it's yeah. feeling a little tight. Yeah. Hey, that that brings up an interesting uh, phenomena with fandom, and it's that I've always thought. And maybe this is just my bias, but I've always thought that Georgia fans enjoy college football more than Alabama fans do. And Alabama wins a national championship every other year, roughly, in the last 10 years. Uh, Georgia's always right there, so close to one, but they can never quite have it. And does that, in your opinion, does that um, proximity to, to greatness, to achievement, drive fandom even more is it's like it's playing hard to get and it, and it makes the fans want it more and it makes them more passionate and in my opinion that's why we've seen georgia fans out you know the tickets for their games often are overpriced relative to alabama games uh relative to some of the other you know tr- teams that have been winning championships in college football I, I think there's probably something to what you're saying right this this idea of kind of living on the uh Living on the edge. Yeah. Like, it, it brings um, us back. Like, like as Illinois, if you guys are in the tournament next year, you're going to be that much more – you're going to want it that much more. Whereas if you guys want it this year, then next year if you're like an eight seed, it's like, yeah, whatever. Well, like this. I, I think the, the, the case of Alabama is, 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 is spot on, right? That What are the expectations in Alabama? Right? I mean, the, the expectations are to win a national championship or it's a failed season. Right. Right? So it's – you know – Look, and, and and expectations and satisfaction, you know, these are these are core marketing terms, not even really about fandom. Mm-hmm. That what your mindset is going into a 
product experience or a service experience or a season of college football, your expectations really dictate your level of satisfaction or enthusiasm in, in terms of how the season turns out. When we when this college basketball season started, we, we did an episode where, again, I'll, uh, you know, I was giddy early on in the season when Illinois went to Cameron, uh, Cameron, what is it, Cameron Indoor yep. Arena or Cameron Indoor, Indoor Stadium. Stadium, yep. And really manhandled Duke, you know, and, and it, I remember thinking at the time that that Duke team did not look very good. But in terms of where Illinois has been as a program and where Duke has been as a program, you know, that's incredibly exciting, right? And so that almost that that brought me full back into the Illini fold. You know, the years of disappointments were forgotten and made it into truly a great season until uh, we ran into the nun and uh, the, the giant kid in the middle with the bad mustache. Right. <laughs> So, so I think you're right that you know if Georgia fans are still trying to get over that hump, they're still in that building mode, right? Yeah. And that building mode is really exciting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the most exciting thing. And like for me as a fan, I feel like like if we had done it in 2017, it would have been awesome. But after that, it, it would have been like, you know, what now? Like I guess we just go try to do it again. But as whereas now it's every year it's like man this could be the year we finally get over the hump this could be it and so there is this enthusiasm that that comes from that and uh, it's it's just an interesting phenomenon to me uh, Mike I'm I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on this after losing to a team in the tournament do you pull for that team to make your team look better or do you pull against that team because they broke your heart Okay so different different flavors of fans out there. Yeah. I don't know. I've lost interest in the tournament. You know, there's <laughs> got to be something. I need to have something happen to pull me back in. You, you're not kind of curious to see if Loyola could win the whole thing. I just, you know, this. And then you this, could at least feel I, like, wow, that would have been us if we, you know, if. if. I, on some level, I'm enjoying this moment, right? Because I, I don't have to. I don't have to pretend to be, you know, digging into data or expressing myself in terms of theory. I, I can be totally honest yeah. in terms of my emotions towards Loyola. And look, I mean, I, I I'm watching that, and you know, their center's a lot of fun to watch unless you're playing him, right? Those Loyola fans and their goofy little wave are tragic. But if you're an outsider and it's not your team. That's hilarious. Yeah. The 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 nun is kind of a great set point set piece for these stories. So I can appreciate the story and the narratives that Loyola brings to that, especially, you know, they did it in the previous tournament. They took a year off and they're right back doing it again. I, I also the, the Loyola coach is also from my hometown. So there's all you know, so for me, there's a lot of stuff going on. And like I said, you know, I'm getting texts out of the blue from all, all sorts of people. It was a truly tragic ending to a great season. And I don't even know how to process all that. I don't know how to put that all together. You're still in the kind of in the grieving phase, it seems. Absolutely. I am in the grieving phase or whatever this kind of uh, confused, dis disjointed uh, fandom at this moment. 
Um, I don't have any plans to to tune back into the tournament. I'm sure by the this coming weekend, I will be back into it at least a little bit. Um, there, I I agree with you. There's some really interesting storylines this year. Loyola might be the most interesting storyline. It's the one I've followed the most. The Big Ten's collapse yeah. uh, in in this tournament is another one. What else are you like looking at as we move towards uh, towards the you know the the Sweet Sixteen and, and beyond? Yeah, well, someone without a, a true dog in the fight, um, and also someone whose bracket is more or less shot at this point. I pretty much pull for chaos as soon as my bracket's done, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to win a million dollars. I'm pulling for chaos. I want, you know, I just want to watch everything go crazy. So I'm really, the storyline to me is the fact that we could still technically see a final four of Oral Roberts, Loyola, Chicago, slash maybe Syracuse. They're a lower seed. Um, Abilene Christian and Ohio. That's that's kind of what I'm pulling for at this point. I'm pulling for those teams and maybe one of them will, will make it far enough uh, to make it really interesting. But that's uh, that's still the big storyline to me. Other than that, of course, Gonzaga and the, right now they're up big on Oklahoma, staying undefeated. They've got a chance to make history. I think Alabama looked really good in their first game, and of course they play again today and could lose. But um, that's another storyline where it's like, could they win a national championship in in basketball and football for the first time since the Florida Gators um, in the 2000s at some point? So. Uh, those are those are the big storylines to me, and uh, just honestly waiting on a buzzer beater. I always watch the end of games. I'm not one to necessarily watch start to finish like some of these random games. If I don't have a dog in the fight, I like to kind of flip around and hit the end of everything, try to see if something crazy happens. What do you think about the Syracuse story? Um, Coach's son carrying the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know a big cat, a Barstool Sports, been joking about him being the number one pick in the draft. Obviously joking, but... Um, you know, I think it's great. I think it's, I think I talked last week about how you could almost do a whole bracket and because in retrospect, there's always all these stories where we're like, how do we not see this coming? Uh, in March Madness is kind of notorious for its storytelling. And that's one that that's in retrospect seems obvious. Like how the, anytime there's a coach's kid, we saw with Georgia state a few years back, the coach's kid hit a buzzer beater, um, coach's kid at Syracuse, you know, carrying the team, past uh first couple rounds and uh you know they're an 11 seed they've run a zone two three defense that a lot of these teams are you know just not used to um even though having played basketball in high school it seemed like every team ran a two three but in college they're so used to man to man and syracuse does such they're so disciplined in, in that defense and then offensively obviously they've got um Bayheim who can light it up and they've got a little bit of that March magic with him and, and his dad being on that same sideline. So I think that's a, another one that I wouldn't be shocked to see them in the final four, even though all year they really weren't one of the more impressive teams. Yeah. I'm, I find myself rooting for Syracuse a little bit in this and just the fact that Bayheim's still around. I was gonna I was gonna um, ask if it was just because they wear the same colors as Illinois and it just kind of <laughs> kind of feels like Illinois. I used to get them mixed up some, so it's like you know, one, at least like yeah. one orange team can have success. <laughs> Thank you. That's incredibly <laughs> that's incredibly unhelpful, to be honest with you. Um no, you know, it's like when when I see like Bayheim still out there, it's uh it's kind of great. I mean, when I um because you know, look, now I'm reaching the age. Where some of these guys, you know, if I 
sort of look in hindsight, they, these guys seem like established adult coaches when I was watching college basketball in the 80s. And so for, you know, Krzyzewski to still be around and Bayheim to still be out there, you know, you start to, it's almost like the Tom Brady effect, yeah. right? That even if you were rooting against these guys for years and years, uh, the, the, uh, by being ever enduring, it almost brings you back to becoming a fan of them. Yeah. And you look at Syracuse, um, being more of a blue blood and, and their biggest competition in their bracket looks to be Houston, who is, you know, maybe not as notorious in, in, the basketball world uh, for being a dominant program. And you start to wonder if there is that Tom Brady effect that uh, where the brand itself kind of intimidates the other team or has a psychological effect that, that drives Syracuse forward in this tournament. Okay. So let me, um, let me change directions here a little bit. So next week, a little bit of a preview. So originally my plan for today's episode was to talk about NFL free agency, but then the Illini ran into uh, a monster team out of Loyola, Chicago, and I had to change directions for a little emotional therapy today. Mm. Um, So we will come back and we'll sort of, I'll get my act together and we'll talk NFL free agency next year, uh, next week. (laughs) It's an interesting off season in a lot of ways. What else is on your sports radar at the moment, Doug? Yeah, NFL free agency is huge. I, I actually keep up with the NBA a good bit. Um, I know it's the regular season and most people don't, but it's uh, always exciting to me. Uh, Anthony Edwards, as a, as a Georgia fan, it's been fun to watch him kind of take off these last couple of weeks. Uh, LeBron's banged up. The Lakers are kind of in trouble with him and Anthony Davis out. So all that's super exciting. And uh, honestly, as a, as a fan, it's like, you kind of get close to looking at draft stuff. I know it's kind of early for that, but I think they're starting to mock up some things for uh, for the NFL. And there's so much movement in free agency where you're starting to think, okay, if we don't fill this void now, we're going to need it in draft and start looking ahead to who's available. So I think it goes back to that theme of hope that we always talk about uh, as sports fans. We're always looking for hope. And if it's not free agency, it's the next thing. Um, so I think, you know, that's that's really around the corner, but we're starting to see these pro days and, and the combines coming up. And uh, I think the, the big fans of some of these NFL teams are, are looking ahead to that. I, I don't know how the NFL figured it out and, and maybe, maybe they just evolved to it, but no league does it better in terms of having an event and content year round to manage that fan cycle. Um, because, uh, you know, free agency and now, you know, is my team going to, you know, are the Bears going to find a quarterback in free agency? Well, no, they got Andy Dalton as a as a placeholder. So now are the Bears going to move up in the draft and get an elite prospect? Yeah, no one does it better than the NFL. They they always have those stories clicking. Um, it is truly a year-round sport. Uh, the NBA, right, I mean, maybe suddenly the most interesting thing is are the Lakers going to slide to a seventh or eighth playoff position? And then someone's going to get a really unfortunate first round matchup, which is kind of a fun thing to think about. Uh, I also think it's interesting that the, the sports that you didn't mention is the NHL playing this year. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Are they receiving any coverage? Not that I am no. aware of. And <laughs> Hardly. what are we, 
what are we, about a week and a little bit away from opening day in Major League Baseball? Yeah. And so we, we're still kind of in a strange place in, in terms of the sports calendar, in terms of what is being covered and how the media is adjusting to this, to this strange new world. Yeah, and a couple of other things. Um, I'm kind of in full off-season mode, so college football, like spring practice is happening right now. And honestly, like in the Southeast, I, ha- I know more people keeping up with spring practice for football uh, than spring training for baseball, even though baseball is much sooner um, coming. And of course, there, there are a ton of baseball fans out there. Um, but, you know, kind of in the football culture amongst football fans, that really comes first. And uh, seeing quite a bit of that. And I myself have, have tried to keep an eye on things as best I can. And then also, even with college basketball, like I know we talked about Illinois and I asked you, like, do you start looking to see who they're getting in recruiting? But for me as a Georgia fan, um, there's a little bit of that, but there's also like we've got some guys transferring and there's a lot of fans that want the coach out. I don't think he's going to be fired, but if he does get fired, you know, which mid-major coach would I hire? And I start looking in and watching some of these teams in the tournament and trying to figure out who the prospects are. I think fans love to scope out uh, in free agency what players or teams need and in coaching searches uh, who, who, you know, is going to come be the head coach of their team. And I think in college basketball, Tournament time is really exciting because you see all these mid-major guys and uh, a lot of them become available after, after the season and teams like Indiana might be interested or teams that have vacancies uh, that are a little bit bigger, have more to offer these coaches. And so that, that's another kind of minor storyline that that I really enjoy as a fan and, and that I'm keeping an eye on right now as well. Well, and let me, since today's a little bit about almost a confessional, a fan <laughs> confessional. Yeah. When you asked me about do I look into Illinois' basketball recruits, um, I pay a little bit less attention to that these days, but I definitely had my peak. Uh, basketball recruiting, look, look is a, if your focus is on college football and, and you're a Georgia fan, college football recruiting is a lot of fun. Yeah. Right? It, it's yeah. like you're just, you're just figuring out how many five-star talent you're bringing in every year. Um, there, there's always kind of hope that you're bringing in legitimate NFL talent every year. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's spectacular to watch. For me, Illini basketball recruiting has always been – look, basketball recruiting is an amazing beast, right, because you're typically you're focused on two or three or four guys. And, and so there's so much time to spend evaluating not just this year's class but potentially future classes that are coming in. I remember as an Illini fan, and this is back in the, you know, po- just post, uh, you know, D. Brown and Darren Williams, the obsession with with Rose coming up through, yeah. you know, the, the Chicago Public League and the, the discussions of him as a seventh grader and an eighth grader. And I think it's so definitely I kind of Illini basketball, you take recruiting, you take a lot of defeats where that top kid from, Chicago goes to Kentucky or goes to or goes to Kansas or goes to Indiana or goes to Memphis. So I almost, you know, I, I still I can't help myself. I still look at it all the time. I'm always aware of what's going in, but I had to take a step back on that one. I couldn't I couldn't go through life being even remotely concerned about where the next great eighth grader was going to go to high school and whether or not <laughs> He was going to pick the AAU team that was going to funnel him to Illinois. 
Yeah. So in other words, you've been you've been through enough, Mike, this week. Like <laughs> we don't need to put you through any potential recruiting losses. <laughs> Just guard your heart. Find some uh, some theater to enjoy, <laughs> some Broadway musicals. <laughs> and that, that really brings our episode full circle. I think that's a perfect ending. Till next week, <laughs> always more at fandomanalytics.com. Thank you. <laughs>